Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 174 of the In Squash podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today, uh, very, very happy to have on another one of these uh, kid in the candy store moments uh, for me on the podcast. Fantastic to have on Ong Bang Hee, uh, one of the guys that uh, from the era of squash that I really, when I was really following the pro game a lot uh, back when I was younger, and uh, of course still following it uh, at great depth and the great talent that, that's out there today. But uh, when I was immersed in the game myself, uh, sort of at the tail end of my better playing days, Ong Bang Hee was coming through, and what a talent he was. Rose to his highs, number uh, seven in the world, uh, Malaysia squash superstar and we have a great chat today he's the uh, director of squash operations i guess you could say in qatar and uh, he just came off um, running the qatar classic that would have been about a month or so ago Uh, we haven't had any uh, uh, at the top uh, level of the game any pro squash uh, events big events like that since then and he comes on to talk about just how uh, things played out for him but of course uh, i spent uh, a lot of time just talking about uh, his squash career and the influences on on him he had such an incredible uh, career uh, as a junior world junior champion and then as a player on the PSA tour reaching his highs number seven and playing during an era where it was uh, you know you really didn't know who was going to win uh from each tournament uh, you never knew who who would win it and uh, he was amongst the the contenders at that time and so really enjoyed uh, catching uh, uh, Ong Bang Hee just after the Qatar Classic and uh, talking about that but more importantly looking back at his storied career Malaysian superstar along with uh, of course uh, legend Nicole David as well uh, during that period and we talk all about that backstory and how things are going and what his vision is there uh, in Qatar as well. Now, uh, just uh, before we move on, I just got, want to give a shout out to the fellas over at Around the Court uh, Squash uh, at the Around the Court Squash podcast. Uh, they pointed out to me that uh, my last episode, episode 173, I believe, with um, with Jesse Engelbrick on his squash app, uh, uh, that the content on the squash app, uh, the boys at uh, Around the uh, Court uh, Squash podcast uh, pointed out that the episode was from the early from his uh, episode, the uh, previous episode back around episode 130, not the episode 173, which was supposed to be on the squash mind. So my my apologies uh, to Jesse uh, for that and to the listeners. Uh, I guess I uh, pulled the trigger on uh, downloading that app and without uh, really uh, giving due attention to it, uh, that happened. So uh, rookie mistake, uh, I guess I'm not a rookie now having done this 173 times but uh, that's the first time that's happened hopefully uh, it will not happen again I've since uh, uploaded the the correct version of that episode so apologies for those of you who uh, realized probably that it was an older version if you'd listened to the previous one uh, at any rate uh, it was a very good episode as well so go back and listen to that one again apologies uh, both to Jesse and uh, to all of you listeners now uh, today on the podcast Ong Beng Hee but before we get started Active Scout uh, just spoke to uh, my sponsor Active Scout yesterday uh, I've uploaded the ad I, I've taken a look at it it looks fantastic but uh, i don't know all the ins and outs and hopefully we're going to have rob eberhardt of active scope come on and take us through that uh canada's going through a tricky situation right now as is much of europe in terms of uh, getting out on the squash court but i think uh in pockets here and there throughout canada uh you we do have the ability uh, to get out on the court so active scout is going to be crucial uh to helping clubs maintain their membership and grow their membership Uh, during these difficult times so if you're in management if you're a player if you want to uh, you know grow grow your group of players under these circumstances grow your network grow your your squash social media I guess you could say uh, check out active scout a-c-t-i-v scout.com and now without further ado really enjoyed this chat with Ong Beng Hee hello oh hi Beng Hee how are you how are you doing? Oh, great, man. Thanks for, uh, good to see you. Yeah, and you too. Likewise, yeah. sorry, I uh, had to delay a little bit. I just finished a meeting, so it was a last minute, uh, last no minute thing I had to attend. No worries. It actually, uh, I'm doing this at, 
at my real job. So it gave me the oh. opportunity to uh, to get some things done uh, so that we so that I could get through this without any uh, stress. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so, uh, keeping safe, all well. Otherwise, yeah, everything's good, man. Uh, all things considered, uh, you know, it's a challenging, uh, difficult time, as you you know. But uh, how are things for you and your your young family? You have two daughters, like me, uh, I think. Um, yes. How are things going in uh, Doha for you? These days. Uh, so far, so good. You know, I think uh, uh, obviously, as you know, during the pandemic, um, all schools have been shut. They've recently just opened the last probably couple months now. Um, yeah, family's keeping well. We're all trying to uh, stay indoor as much as we can. Um, but I think slowly we are getting uh, a little bit more time now, you know, um, outdoor and also all the restaurants have opened, all the malls have opened, schools have opened. So, We are getting there slowly and uh, yeah, we're doing yeah. our best to stay safe, most importantly. That's great. Yeah, it's similar to, to here. I, I'm in the UAE. You might, uh, I'm not sure if you knew that, but uh, yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Similar, similar kind of situation. Things are opening up. Businesses are open. Schools are reopening and having sort of half online, half in, in-house. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been... It's been great, but, uh, and squash is also opened uh, about two months ago, the squash courts opened, so that's Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully so, there will be a Dubai open soon, right? Oh, <laughs> With, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you, if you were around, I th yeah, you would have been playing, it would have been back in 2000, before 2007, which is exactly the year mm. that I arrived. That's when the Dubai threes, I don't know if you ever played in that event. Uh, they had the no, never played that photo. No, yeah, but they used to have it every year. It was a, quite a tradition. And then that club that um, that they used to host it at, uh, they shut it down. And since then, there really hasn't been much uh, in terms of high level pro squash. Although they did have the uh, the Super Series finals three years in a row here. But, uh, sure. Anyways, Bang yeah. He, it's great, great to see you. Great to have you on. I, we did meet. Uh, I met you a long time ago. Uh, it was in Busan, uh, Korea. You you actually won the the gold medal there, uh, and that, did, that was yeah. a fantastic. Wow, long time. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yeah, you were just a young young fellow back then. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that was a great event for you because uh, the the squash at, on that weekend, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, your semifinal against um, uh, Shahid Zaman, and then the final against yes. Mansoor. Uh, I mean, they couldn't have been, they were a bit bit different in the way they, they played out. I would have thought they would have played out oppositely, but uh, Shahid was, yeah. as you know, one of the trickiest guys out there, just a superb talent uh, with the racket. And you guys had a fantastic uh, match. I don't know if you remember that one. And then you, you, you I think I won three two. really yeah. well in the final. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, I remember a three, two with Shahid Zaman and then the, Wow, what a big match, you know. I think, uh, obviously, uh, for the Asian countries, Asian Games is always the priority for Malaysia. And I'm sure for many other countries, like Hong Kong and Pakistan as well, and India. So uh, a lot of our funding for squash de depended on Asian Games uh, results because it goes on um, a four-year cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to be able to win a goal, I, I think uh, it, it was massive at the time, you know, because I, I don't think any of the Malaysian male player has done it before. Yeah. Uh, of course, I think Nico won it in 1998, maybe, I think, or maybe same time as I did, I, I don't remember. But uh, yeah, I think it was uh, quite a big moment for squash and uh, I'm very happy I played a, a small part winning a medal for Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that, that was a big, uh, I mean, I, I was a little bit active with the uh, Korean squash community at, at that time. And one of the female players won a bronze medal uh, in, that, in that event. So that really propelled uh, squash a little bit uh, for Korea at that time, which, as you know, it's not such a, you know, squash isn't very popular around the world globally anyways. But yeah. uh, it, it really helped a, a little bit, I think, at that time for Korea, like you said, in terms of funding and stuff. But uh, 
really uh, just wanted to say what a great job uh, I felt, and I think the whole squash community, uh, squash world felt that you and the Qatar, uh, you know, Federation did with the, uh, the uh, recently held Qatar Classic. So fantastic job under really special uh, circumstances. So now that the dust has settled uh, a little bit and you've probably had time to look back on it, um, uh, how, how did you feel things went for you? I mean, obviously they went well, but looking back on it yourself, uh, how did you think things went? I, I think um, obviously, you know, uh, in the beginning, you know, my, my boss, uh, Mr. Tari Zainal, who is the main promoter for Qatar Classic, um, you know, I think he, for him, I think he's never worked this hard to, to get an event going because as you know, pandemic is... Uh, it's a new standard operating procedure for all levels, especially for uh, the health, uh, you know, uh, side. And I think um, we had to change a lot of things. Um, and my boss, uh, Mr. Tarizainal, I, I think that the amount of times he has met up with the Ministry of Health to to discuss about, um, you know, how to host an event. It, that, that took a lot of time and we, we didn't have much time because everything was done at the last moment due to the, the uh, updating and the, mm. the, the rules. The, the, they kept changing rules because we, we don't know the guidelines and they kept changing it on a daily basis. So yeah. uh, I think for about two or three weeks, everyone was, uh, we were all working very hard and um, we, we basically, we, we just had to keep updating PSA. We had to keep updating the players. Uh, no one knew what was going on, but <laughs> internally, I think Mr. Tarizaino and the, the rest of us, we were working very hard to prepare the tournament. Um, and just for record, for example, you, you know, um, we in total, there was uh, 600 tests done for all the staff and players throughout these 10 days wow. of the event. And that's how much work it, it, it took, you know. So, and you, we had to wait for the results before the players could travel from the hotel to the venue. So all this logistic and also all the the preparation for this year for me, I personally is is the toughest, you know. And um, and uh, we needed to make sure that all the players, all the staff, arrive in Doha healthy and leave Doha healthy. You know, I think that was the, the, the biggest, uh, well, basically, yeah, the objective of, of, of making this event successful is to make sure that everybody is healthy. Yeah. And uh, we are, yeah, whether it's through luck or whether it's through just hard work, uh, I think my boss has done a great job, basically. I think all credit to him. Um, you know, he has uh, guided us. He has led the, the team to a very successful event. I think, um, I hope... This event is just once a year and not three times a year. It would be tough. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, it's a tough year. But we are very happy that uh, everyone has got home safe and uh, no one has uh, contracted any coronavirus. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, I think it's a testament to, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, all that hard work that you guys put on behind the scenes because nobody, I mean, you didn't really hear anything about that during the event. It was all... You know, what we watched on Squash TV, obviously, was just squash and just uh, fantastic to see it. Everyone was excited. But as you mentioned, uh, the, the, all the hard work that went on behind the scenes, the 600 tests, uh, keeping everyone healthy, uh, uh, making sure that they, they arrived healthy and left healthy. I mean, that, that's basically the bottom line for you, isn't it, to put on that event. The squash is always going to speak for itself, isn't it? Correct. I think also, you know, um, a lot of credit must be given to PSA and also to the players, you know. Uh, they had to arrive in Qatar four days before they play their first match, you know. So, and every, everybody had their own single room. And as you know, being, being quarantined in their room only, having three or four meals in their room for 10 days or till they, whenever they leave the tournament, um, and none of the players complained. They, they didn't say a word. They were actually very grateful. Uh, you know, I think they just, whatever issues they had, whatever minor issues they had, they, they, did, they didn't raise it. They, they just kept it to themselves. So we are, you know, very grateful to them as well that uh, they cooperated with, with the guidelines that was given by the Ministry of Health. 
Um, of course, we would like them to be more free, but again, when you're in that uh, bubble, there's only so many things you can do. And I, I think boredom, maybe, you know, it's being stuck in the room for four days and you can only practice either by yourself or to practice with your opponent only before you play. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult for players. So we are very grateful that, uh, you know, they on their Instagram, on their Twitter, they are very grateful for this event and, you know, just to keep the image uh, of squash, especially. I think it's very important. We have to keep the, a clean image for squash as we are still beating and trying to fight to get into Olympics every time. Yeah. Um, and I think especially now with the pandemic, with positive news for squash, I, we hope that uh, Qatar has, uh, you know, set a standard and hopefully we can help um, to, to grow the game again. I think this is what the players need. Uh, as you know, th there's not been many events for them. I'm sure many of them are struggling financially as well. So yeah. as a former player, I understand, you know, like you, you need to play, you need to compete, you need to make the money and also get the ranking points. Otherwise you end up losing your sponsorship, you lose your funding. So there's, um, there's more to it than just, you know, organizing a, a successful event. I think it's to... Yeah, to, to give the confidence that we can do this if we work hard and um, yeah, with a little bit of luck, we can pull it through, which we did. So we're, yeah, we're awesome. very grateful to PSA and the players. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, you guys were able to pull through under these difficult circumstances. You have maybe a, a template there that, that others can use going forward. Egypt's obviously uh, doing a great job as well as you guys. So uh, hopefully this is like a, a nice uh, template that, you know, other uh, federations, if they have the opportunity to, to begin playing squash again, can, uh, can look to you and, uh, for, uh, in terms of how successful things were for you guys. Now, just in terms of the event itself, uh, uh, the, the squash was unbelievable. Uh, the local interest uh, was, was amazing. Abdullah Al-Tamimi played, again, always, uh, always in there against the top players, regardless of who they are. It seems he, he, he does really well. And then a, few, a couple of other younger guys uh, were also in the mix. So uh, how proud of, of you were... Uh, of, of those guys and how well they played and how well they represented, uh, I guess what, what you're doing uh, over there in Qatar as well is uh, developing uh, the elite uh, players. Well, I, I think, first of all, um, Abdullah did play pretty well this event, considering that uh, he only played Manchester against Tariq moment, you know, in the last mm. six to seven months since pandemic. Um, so I think coming to this tournament, um, he, I think he felt a little bit of pressure, especially in, in the uh, first round against Patrick Rooney. Yeah. But I thought he did very well. Patrick, to, Patrick to, Rooney's no slouch, is he? He's a good player. He, he's a, right. You know, now, I think Patrick has improved a lot. You know, he's been working with Malcolm Bullstrop, as I understand. Uh, so, um, you, you know, I think he, he did very well to, to beat him 3-2. At, at one stage, we were quite worried that he might not, he might not make it, but he did pull through. And... Uh, and yeah, I think having a tough draw playing Diego in the second round, um, you know, we had our president coming to watch him. Uh, even though he's lost, he lost in a close uh, three love, but he did play very well, actually, you know, against uh, Diego, as we all know, he's ranked top, top six in the world currently, or top eight in the world. Um, but I think uh, from, from being a Qatari, the only Qatari now in the top 30, of course, Abdullah still has a lot of work to do, I think he knows it too. So uh, he's been working very hard with um, with Ronnie Martin in New York. I think he will return to New York uh, once the situation is uh, under control. Um, but uh, he, he has a, a lot of potential. You know, I think he's carrying a huge responsibility uh, for Qatar, playing for Qatar. You know, um, being the only player in top thirty. Um, from our part, we as federation, we are doing whatever we can to support him, um, you know, whether it's through uh, financial or through coaching or through working with other coaches, uh, we're very supportive of Abdullah. Um, and I think Qatar Classic is also uh, for him as well and for the rest of the uh, Qatar community. Um, of course, we hope that uh, one day he'll be able to, to progress further in the, in the event. It'd be nice to, to see him on the podium for Qatar Classic. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, very important that um, we keep supporting Abdullah we, uh, and also currently we're, we're trying to 
to um, help the rest of the Qatari players to close the gap because we have a huge gap between our number one and number two. Uh, so we are hoping that one of the juniors will be able to step up soon, you know, and um, just keep, yeah, keep doing well, really. No, for sure. Uh, he, I mean, uh, Dola played really well last uh, last year, had some good wins and some close matches against top players. But I think he's also, uh, I mean, for the Gulf uh, nations as well, uh, Qatar is leading, leading the way. And, and uh, I think he's sort of a role model for those who are, are trying to make their way in squash in the Gulf nations. So uh, uh, congratulations for that and keep um yeah, keep up the hard work and good work. Uh, hopefully, I, maybe I'll try to get Abdullah on the, on the podcast one of these days. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it would be a good idea. You know, I think you enjoy the chat with him. Uh, he's a very, very laid back, very open sort of character. You know, uh, I'm yeah. sure you have a good laugh with him too. Right on, right on. Now, if you don't mind, Benghi, uh, uh, um, we've been talking about what you're doing uh, now as a coach and things going on in Qatar, but uh, uh, I'd be very remiss if I did not uh, take a look back at your uh, sort of glorious uh, playing career, uh, dating back to, you know, world junior champion, uh, 15 PSA titles, number seven in the world. I mean, uh, that's just absolutely, uh, you know, people dream of, of that type of squash career. I did, uh, but uh, never panned out. I got to number one in Nova Scotia, Canada, but... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, Pretty good. <laughs> but uh, if you don't mind, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you've won uh, you've won medals in the, the Asian Games, obviously several, and, and uh, also the Commonwealth Games. But uh, I know your dad uh, laid the groundwork for you uh, early on. So, if it's possible, what was it sort of like? Uh, what was it about your father that that helped lay that groundwork for you to become what you were? You know, world junior champion. Uh, uh, at that time, you were young when you were working with your dad, but obviously what, whatever he did to instill sort of the, the skill that you had and, and the, the work ethic that you had, it obviously it came from, from him. Um, I, I think uh, with my dad, you know, on, um, in my early days, he has really set the foundation for me. I think um, those days we did not have... Um, as much support from the association. So financially, uh, it was a little bit tough those days, you know, so my, my dad had to fork out a lot of his own personal money to, uh, to support me, you know, uh, playing in, in uh, regional events and also the international events. Um, so I, I think what he did very well was to instill discipline in my, in my training. Um, I'll, I'll be on court, you know, for a couple of hours a day in the morning and whenever after school, whenever I have time, I will be on court again. So I, I think he, he did it in such a way uh, that he didn't force me to, to, to train. He, he made it in such a way that, okay, let's, let's train because, you know, I think you have a chance of winning in this event or you have a chance of, there's, there's always a reward at, at the end of uh, a, a stage of training, you know? So I, I think in, those early days, he just kind of laid that foundation. And, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, when I got to about 15 or 16, I was already national number two player just behind uh, Kenneth Lowe. I, I'm not sure if you remember him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the you know, name. Kenneth yeah. yeah. He, uh, so I was already number two when I was 16 years old. And my dad said, okay, um, you know, there's World Juniors in 1998 in Princeton at the time. Uh, we have two years. Um, you know, I think 1996, when the World Juniors was held in Cairo, I made, surprisingly, I made the semifinals of an under-19 event when I was only 16 years old. Um, so my dad said to me and suggest, suggested to me, um, why don't you take a couple of years uh, off from school? <laughs> Just go full-time squash, basically join the PSA. Don't worry about PSA, but use PSA as uh, just a, a foundation, you know, to, to, to build, to, to play more matches, to get the exposure, get the experience. But the whole objective was to try to win uh, the World Juniors. Mm. And because World Juniors was also the same year as the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur. All right. Um, so, you know, yeah. it was a very interesting period, you know. I think squash at the time was included in the Commonwealth Games for the first time. 
back in my home country as well. So uh, we started to receive a little bit more funding. So I was able to basically become a, a young professional at 16 years old for two years till 1998. And then to, to decide again whether I should go back to school or have a look and, and see how far I've, I've gotten in, in squash. Uh, so that was the, the, the plan from my dad. Uh, basically, he just said, okay, from 16 years old to till the World Juniors, you're going to be based in England. You just leave the country, um, train in England, play all the league matches, uh, train with the best players at the time. I think, uh, obviously, Peter Nickel was the world number one. Uh, got in touch with uh, Neil Harvey, and just packed my bags and I, I left. Basically, I went to England when I was like 16, 17 years old and just lived in England, you know. So what was Chinese that like? Because I know uh, I've had a, a number of uh, guys on, on uh, Peter Janiver, uh, Lawrence Angela, yes. um, uh, Tim uh, Garner, uh, several guys. That obviously, I've had Peter Nickel on and they've all talked to, uh, they've spoken to, uh, you know, the 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 genius of Neil and how, you know, what he was able to achieve as a coach and, and what it was like to, to, uh, to work there and, and train there. What was it like for you? I guess it must, it must've been uh, sort of, was it something you were looking forward to? Cause it must've been a little bit challenging for you at that young age to go over there on your own. And, uh, but obviously, you know, Neil, uh, he's very, very, uh, you know, welcoming and he'd make you feel, uh, right at home, I guess, wouldn't he? Well, you know, uh, I think from the squash experience, of course, I've learned a lot from uh, Neil and, and the rest of the players as well. You know, you get to, to train with these guys on a daily basis. I think um, the experience I, I learned and again from people like Peter Nickel, Tim Garner, um, all these guys, I think that's helped me when I was like, 16, 17 years old, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing I, I did not enjoy was living in England. You know, I, <laughs> I think it was just a, a shock to the system, you know, coming from Malaysia where, you know, the weather is... All the good food. Sunny and warm and all the good food. Mm. And then you go to a cold country. Actually, I, I went just before Christmas as well, you know, so mm -hmm. the temperature was like very, zero very and very dark, very gray, you know, mm. I've never seen the weather this gray in my life, you know, 16, 17 years old. So, you know, that was very challenging for me, you know, being a, a 17 year old kid going over to England, uh, living with uh, Tim Garner, you know, sleeping on his uh, living room. It was very kind of him to, to provide me that, you know, I, I didn't even have a proper room. So basically I was just sleeping on the floor, you, you know, had a mattress out. <laughs> Uh, for a year, I think. Uh, you know, it was very kind of him. I think he took care of me very well. I was uh, very shy. I, I didn't know what, what I was doing. You know, I was 17 years old. So my, I was just there to play squash, just to get to know people. Um, you know, but again, I think being in England at the time, uh, the first two years, three years, I think it's the most I, I've gained in terms of experience uh, as a person as well, you know, because you, you kind of, yeah, you get out of your comfort zone. You, I really got out of my comfort zone. And uh, it's helped my squash uh, tremendously. I think I won the, the World Juniors because of that. I, I got very tough mentally and physically as well. So, yeah, as you know, Neil is a very, um, very strict in his training. You know, uh, discipline is a big part of his training. Uh, and he wanted certain things done. And, uh, yeah, it was challenging. But end of the day, you know, once you won the World Juniors, you've... <laughs> Yeah. Really, well, uh, I, was watch, I watched a little bit of your squash uh, today and sort of preparing uh, for this. And it looked, I mean, I, I think it was, uh, it was actually the, there's a bit of footage of the Pusan gold medal match with Mansoor uh, there. And it, it just looked like, like your, your footwork patterns were just really spot on. Uh, is that uh, something that you worked? I know uh, Neil used to work on, those footwork patterns quite a bit. Forget what he called it, the 150 or some some sort of... 120, I think. 120 or something, yeah. yeah. It, it, was that something that uh, you had had prior to going to Neil? Excellent footwork. I know you're, I mean, you're quite strong in the lower body, uh, but um, was that something that he worked on with you or were there other elements of uh, the game that he thought you needed to work on? I, I think... Uh... 
for me, you know, the whole uh, movement uh, at that time, it kind of worked very well. You know, uh, those days, the, the, the uh, if I'm mistaken, it was still nine points or 15 points, you know, so um, it, it worked long really games. well. Uh, and long games as well, right? I mean, we didn't have as many Egyptians to, to change the dynamics of the game. It was basically more straightforward. It was about discipline squash and closing the angles and trying to take the ball as early as you can. Um, so, yeah, for me at, at the time, I, I think um, physically I've always been quite strong. I think most of us are in, in Asia because uh, we we strongly believe in sports science and uh, we've done a lot of, um, you know, strength work before we actually go on court. So, um, just adding on to Neil's way of training, I, I think I adapted very well for for a period of time, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it worked really well for for a little while. But eventually, I think all of us needed to to change the way we play, and mm-hmm. I think which I did as well. Uh, try to adapt and try to change with the the, the modern game. Yeah, even, as, even know, Peter the, did. Even Peter changed, didn't he? He had, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think as uh, it was physically very demanding, and I think you know, Peter and also myself, we went through it. Uh, we got to a certain stage where we had to change our game a little bit. We had to adapt. We had to relearn certain things again, uh, technically, and also the uh, the movement pattern. I, I think we we had to change something. So, but you know, all in all, I think it was a very good learning experience. Um, you know, from Neil. Um, one of the biggest thing I've learned from him was to, to, to shut the opponent off, you know, keeping very disciplined squash. Uh, sometimes it looks a little bit boring from, from a spectator wise, but you know, our job is to make sure to, to try to win as many matches, you know, as you know, um, yeah. <laughs> those days we didn't have as many PSA. So every match uh, was very important just to, to, to keep winning. I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, uh, uh, Bangy, but uh, it, it would have been maybe 1998, 1999. And, and I know you'd played some PSA before that, but it, it was the Hong Kong Open. And uh, you, you'd gotten quite a bit of press uh, just being who you were, world junior champion coming up. I think you might have been top 20 at that time. But uh, I think you played Jonathan Power in an early round match in, in Hong Kong. Uh, I don't know if you yes. remember that one, but uh, I did, it, yes. was good. it was oh, a really good match. It was a really good match, and, and JP, you could tell he he showed you the respect. Uh, 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 you know, normally sometimes he he can be a bit tricky that way, but uh, he he definitely showed you the respect. Do you remember that match? Uh, I I remember I, I couldn't see the ball very well because he kept sending me the wrong way, which was really <laughs> really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I think at the time uh, I had Malcolm Wilshop in my corner. He traveled as well. He was in Hong Kong. And uh, I always remember the in-between um, coaching from Malcolm. And it's the first time I've heard from Malcolm. He said to me, you know, Bengi, I, I feel very sorry for you uh, because oh. JP <laughs> is playing best squash today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all I can say is go in there, be positive, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, JP is just on absolute fire. So I'm like, well, thanks, Malcolm. <laughs> So no, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, remember, I remember that match. It didn't look it didn't look that bad to me. It looked like you you were doing your best to contain him, and then also you were I mean you were playing your shots as well. It wasn't like he blew you out of the water. It was, it, at least that's my recollection of it. Yeah, I I, I think you know uh, playing someone like JP if uh, if he's playing like this, it's it's very tough to to. To beat him, you know, and that's why he's world champion. He's world number one, and uh, yeah, for for me, I think maybe it's just my un, un, unlucky day that I, I got the the best of JP, you know. So, um, but it was a uh, yeah, great lesson, you know. Someone holding the ball, being so deceptive, you you don't know what he's doing on court, basically, you know. Like mm-hmm. I've never been so insecure playing anyone like like JP. You know, he will send you the wrong way. <laughs> not just once but a few times in a rally you know so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean the era that you played in and I, I bring this up a lot of times like when I had Peter on and, and Lawrence on I mean the era that you played in 
was absolutely it was one of my favorite eras of squash i mean i mean there was yourself you had peter you had uh nick matthew you had hammer shabana you had john white martin heath the yeah. list goes on i mean uh, what was it like to to play during that era not only the quality of squash but the personalities i mean all these guys uh, were just different and interesting and, and uh, uh, just an amazing era uh, of squash don't you think yeah, I think even those days, you know, um, like traveling these guys because, uh, you know, we, we play in, in the same league as well. We train together. Uh, but I think that the level of squash those days is it's just as high as it is now. It's just that it's from different countries. You, you know, if you look at someone like John White, uh, David Palmer, you even have Paul Price and um, Stuart Boswell is up there as well. So it, it was, yeah, tough. You know, I mean, Stuart for Boswell me to get was, to top He's one of the guys I'd love to watch. He just, he was so smooth. The way his yes, movement, uh, his ball striking, everything. Just amazing. Yeah. You know, so I think in that top eight, it was like a constant change every month in the ranking, except for obviously the Jonathan Powell and Peter Nickel. They were very consistent at one and two. Yeah. But from three, four, five, all the way to number 10, there's always, every month, there's was, was changes, you know. So um, it was just, yeah, it was, Quite brutal. I, I think I, I remember for a few seasons, I was training extremely hard because uh, to compete with these guys, you had to be physically very, very fit, obviously. Um, but going on court, tactically, you, you had to be different as well because you had a group of Aussie players of the Stuart Boswell, mm. Paul Price, Anthony Ricketts, and then yeah. you had the English group with the Lee Beachill and, you know, Will Shrop was on the way up Lin, and Lin uh, Mark Chaloner. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, you had to adapt to different styles of play all the time. And then you had the Egyptians, who Shabana and the Dawish, they're all just coming right, right up and above me as well. So, yeah, it was, it was tough. For me, I, I, found, I found it uh, very challenging, you know. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I would consider myself very lucky because playing against those guys... And uh, the amount of uh, things you got to learn from these guys, I, I picked a lot of tips from them, playing against them. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, brought it into my coaching a little bit, not just mm. learning from the coaches, but through my playing experience as well. So I'm, I'm able to relate this to, to my players. Uh, so for me, it's, yeah, uh, one of the best lessons I've learned being on, on tour. Yeah, those were great, uh, great times. I, I mean, every match from pretty much round one through to the final, it always had some intrigue involved, uh, uh, personalities, different players, different styles of play. It was a great era. So uh, thank you for those good, good times, uh, Bengi. They were good times. Uh, now, in, in doing a, doing the prep for, for you for this, uh, for my podcast generally, uh, normally I go to like social media, someone's uh, Instagram page or Twitter feed or, you know, whatever. It's sometimes difficult to, to find a lot of uh, uh, research, but for you, I mean, I, I typed in your name and boom, uh, there, there, there's just a, an archive of uh, media coverage. It just seems, I'm just wondering, like, uh, I guess in me, uh, in Malaysia, uh, obviously you, Nicole, uh, Aslan, to a certain extent, became household names, not only as squash players, but as uh, athletes nationally, which is not sort of normal for, for squash, for top-level squash players, even the best players in the world in their own country that wouldn't receive that type of media coverage. But I think you, you to a certain degree, you did. Uh, how, did that, how did that affect you or impact you uh, as a player uh, in Malaysia, where the uh, where you received a bit of media coverage more so than the average player, I, th I think. I think uh, at the time, uh, obviously, we were very lucky to have Nico David as uh, world number one. I think that kind of uh, changed uh, the landscape of Malaysian squash. You know, I think in terms of funding, uh, the recognition. Um, but I'm I'm very proud that I was the uh, one of the first players to 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 become professional. To, uh, to prove that we can make a living through squash because obviously being a Malaysian trying to be a professional squash player in the beginning, I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, people would just look at you going, what are you doing? You're living, you're not in school and you want to play squash. 
uh, you know, so there's a lot of question marks at the time because um, the, the game was still very new in Malaysia, uh, being professional especially. So, uh, you know, I think at the time, uh, especially by winning the World Juniors, having the squash included in Commonwealth Games, that kind of changed the, uh, the, the, the thinking of uh, people. You know, I think the uh, government realized that, oh, okay, we, we can actually do quite well in squash. We are winning medals in major events now we're contributing into into their uh, targets you know so um, of course once you're recognized it's a lot easier to to get sponsorship uh, a lot easier to get funding for the association and that's how we all started you know I think uh, even for Nicole David if you to speak to her she was undecided at one stage of, after her high school so um, uh, sorry about this no problem so it's kind of just opened the door for professionals, you know, so for, for Mohamed Aslan, who was slightly younger than I am, he, um, you know, gave him some confidence to, to be professional. So um, we're very, very grateful. I'm so sorry about this. No, you, you can go ahead and answer that if you want. Thank you. Khalid, can I call you back? Sorry, yeah, thank you. Sorry about this. So, yeah, I think uh, being being the first person to to achieve you know um even a, a world ranking of seven that kind of gave a lot of um the, the younger generations hope that uh, oh, okay if bing he can do it maybe i have a chance so i think that kind of opened a, a lot of doors for the rest of the players the rest of the uh, state association they, they started in investing into um that their program and uh, yeah, that's how we all started. I think it's it's mm -hmm. it's similar to Egypt, as you know. You know, Ahmad yep. Barada opened that, that 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 door to the rest of the players, and it hasn't stopped since. Unfortunately, uh, we need, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but we, you know, I think it's important to have at least one guy to 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 show the way, and then the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was uh, sort of just thinking about it, um, like with other high profile sports, the top players, as you know, they they get a lot of media coverage. Uh, most of it's pretty good, but sometimes it can create issues, maybe some pressure that you wouldn't normally, but squash players, I don't think they, they really experience uh, this kind of thing. Did you ever experience um, that kind of uh, sort of pressure from like, the additional uh, media coverage because you you received a fair amount, uh, I think. Yeah, I think uh, for for me, my my dad, because he has really laid down a foundation. He has always uh, advised me to actually stay out of the country as long as possible. I think yeah. he, what he was trying to do at the time, and he didn't he didn't want to tell me about it. He just said, you know, basically he was just trying to keep me grounded. He just wanted me to focus on my squash and the rest of it, he would have taken care. So I think if I've um, lived in Malaysia, trying to be professional in Malaysia uh, with all the media surrounding it, uh, it would have been a little bit difficult because uh, maybe as a young guy, I would have gotten big hated or maybe a little bit arrogant and lose my way a little bit. So my dad uh, basically just said, if possible, just live in England as long as you can, travel, train there, stay away from the country um, and come back just for holiday, you know, to, to have a little bit of time off during the summer. But most of the season, I was actually living in England, uh, touring in Europe and just playing events. So I, I didn't feel the pressure from the media. Um, I, I didn't, I don't think I got any bad publicity out of it. Uh, you know, basically the guys just wanted to know my results. So pretty, pretty much a, a, a normal day for, for me. Uh, I think had I lived in, in Malaysia at the time, maybe things would have been a little bit more different. Uh, but again, I think what my dad was trying to do was just to protect me from anything outside the, the squash court. Yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Especially at a young age where you were, you know, you, you'd done so well at a young age. Like you said, you might have, it might have uh, made you big headed, but, but at the same time, I mean, your, your father obviously uh, laid the groundwork early and you, you probably would have uh, succeeded regardless uh, uh, of that. But uh, uh, we don't know, but you never know. I think, yeah. 
Yeah, but now just that I know you've been great with your time being in the phones ringing off the hook there in the office, so I won't keep you too much longer. Uh, but I did want to ask you a little bit about your playing career. Now you reached number seven, and uh, I mean I could go anywhere with this, uh, but I only we only have a bit of time. Uh, and you've won 15 PSA titles. I looked at sort of the results, and I, I kind of uh, I was just wondering. There was a period there. I think it was around 2011, 12, and it made that sort of. I guess maybe not necessarily the twilight of your career, but uh, approaching that, that period. And uh, you won an event, the, the Motor City Open in 2012. Uh, you beat Hisham uh, uh, Ashur in the final. Uh, you played really well in that. But leading up to that, it wasn't necessarily your best period. So how uh, would you consider that um, that tournament, that win is some, you know, one of the, the more memorable uh, uh, victories on the Pro Tour or for you. Uh, that, that, that's just me look, looking at, 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 the, at what you've done. Yeah, I think uh, before the uh, Detroit Open, uh, for one full season, I lost in the first round, I think about 10 to 12 events I lost in the first round. Practically the whole season, I, I could not win a match. Um, I, for whatever reason, I lost confidence. I uh, lost a little bit of interest at the time. You know, obviously, when you start to think too much about your age, it's like, oh, age is catching up. Should I be retiring now or not? And then, um, you know, I went to Detroit, being in the qualification, and I, I think uh, from uh, two thousand. I moved up to um, to Harrogate to work with uh, David Pearson a little bit and also with Malcolm Wilshrop. Uh So yeah, you know, came that year 2012. I went to Detroit with no pressure. I was just expecting to lose in another first round in the qualification, uh, but somehow I scraped through two two matches. I won three two against I think uh, Greg Marsh and. Uh, Yes, someone like Ryan Cascali, I think, if I'm not mistaken, okay. uh, made it all the way to the final, somehow won the event. Uh, yeah, I, I think just winning that event, it gave me um, a bit of hope, you know, uh, to, to carry on a little bit further. I thought, okay, if I can win one event, it's good enough. Maybe I should push on and to try to play the um, 2014 Asian Games, which yeah. was in... Uh, Korea again, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I think in Korea, Incheon. Uh, Incheon. Yeah, that, that's right. So, yeah, uh, for me, and also, how can it not be memorable when you're winning a Rolex as well, right? So, uh, there you, go. That, you, you, you got to <laughs> add on right now, dude. Yeah, got to add on. Yes, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know how it happened until today. I, I I still don't know. But I think maybe because when you've lost so many first round, you kind of just go, I I. I don't care about losing anymore and you end up just somehow playing your best squash, you know, through winning every match, you gain a bit of confidence each day. Uh, That's something and, that yeah. you can sort of teach your, your uh, you know, the younger players when they, you know, when they begin to feel pressure, when they enter a tournament. I know in my own little squash world, the matches in, in my background where I have the big matches that I've won, it's always yeah. been a case where I've just gone on the court, really enjoyed it, had nothing going on uh, limiting me in my head and uh, yeah. played my best squash as a result. Yeah, I, I, for every every professional player, as you know, you're, you, you've traveled a long way, right? From England to America to play and you have only one chance. If you don't win this match, you have to pack your bag, change your flight and then you leave again. So the, 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 the pressure, especially the first couple of rounds, it's, it's immense, you know, you, you will always feel it. You always need to learn how to handle those pressure. Uh, for me, after losing 12 times in the first round, I think I've learned a lot actually. <laughs> and I, I went on court uh, knowing what I needed to do and I, I, somehow I managed to focus. I, I managed to enjoy myself even though, even though I was not expecting to win the event. Uh, it's probably the only time I've, I felt, okay, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to play my best today, whatever that is. And then let's see how it goes. So, yeah, I, I think for, for me, winning Detroit was winning, like winning a world, world event. You know, it's like winning a platinum event for me. You know, personally, to, to go from 12 first rounds to winning a, a, 
uh, event yeah. like Detroit. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> and then also, yeah. I mean, also beating such a like a talented guy like uh, Hisham in the final. I mean, uh, yeah, you play against a guy like that who, who can do just about uh, anything with the ball from anywhere on the court. Uh, you must have been in a really good place with your squash that day. Yeah, uh, you know, considering I, I think it was in the quarterfinals. I played Cameron Peely. Uh, it was ten all in the fifth game, and both of us cramped up. Basically, we could not walk, you know. And then uh, to come back the next day to play Mohammad El Shobagi, the younger El Mohammad El Shobagi at the time, yeah. uh, to to be able to to <laughs> to beat him as well, and then to play Hisham after. I mean. Wow. My, my body took about three weeks to recover after that and because it was played <laughs> on a normal court it wasn't even on a glass court oh so, yeah so the ball was just yeah. bouncing like crazy no doubt then. yeah you know so that took a lot of uh, yeah toll on the body that took me about a month before I could recover from the event but wow right. what what a what a what an experience that, that event and uh, yeah one of my best events un until today really that's that's amazing. Well, Peng uh, uh, I've always wanted to uh, have you on the podcast, and, and you uh, you lived up to all the expectations for me. Uh, really appreciate your time, and just want to wish you all the best in Qatar. I know you've you've been doing great work there, and uh, all the best with that. And take care, thank you, so you much. and your family. Thank you so much for your time. Well, he's all class. It was awesome speaking to him, Ong Bang Hee, and uh, really appreciated uh, his time and uh, what uh, great years he had on the Pro Tour. Really loved to watch uh, him play throughout the years, and it was great to get some of the backstory there and also to hear uh, all about uh, how things are going to hopefully uh, play out for him there in Qatar as director of squash. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we've got some really good ones uh, hopefully coming up in the next few weeks so stay tuned for those uh i hope your squash is going well i'll be playing it's a uae national day week this week so i've got three day uh three days off so a five day long weekend um planning to play a little bit of squash a little bit of golf um and also do some uh you know get get some gym work in so yeah hopefully it's a good week and uh the squash i'm looking forward to that's going to be on uh thursday a few days from now so looking forward to that but i hope it's all going well for you guys too please uh share these podcasts on your social media give me a like give me a retweet what have you uh like on instagram as well i'm on instagram i'm on twitter uh, at in squash podcast and of course facebook uh, take care everybody have a great day and uh, all the best with your squash and all the best to you and your families during this challenging period goodbye now